It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. Before we get into anything, I want you to take time to rate us, review us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, however you get your podcasts, and also subscribe on the YouTube channel. At the subscribe link down at the bottom really helps us get content to you, helps us move up the algorithms and the searches and all that. Uh, Thursday evening, Thursday evening recording this, that means it's the Game Plan Podcast. Got Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. Greg, I'll come to you first. It's been a while since we've done this. Hard to believe that we are in October and this is Carolina's second game of the season. Never thought I'd see that. Yeah, and like uh, like Mike Brown said, several times this week, you know, especially in telling his players, we still don't know if we're actually going to play. We, we have to make sure we get all the tests back Saturday morning. And at that point, we will know if we're going to play. So be prepared for anything. And that's got to be just incredibly difficult for, of course, the coaching staff or for these, these guys that have gone through so much this offseason to kind of have a game like the Charlotte game taken away from them, to have high hopes for a game uh, you know, last weekend, and now to kind of be on pins and needles, hoping that they can get through this, you know, these next several hours to make sure they can kick off on Saturday. I uh, know I looked at Boston College's website and it has a countdown to kickoff and we're under two days. So uh, we got through Thursday morning, which was the bad news day a couple of weeks ago. Jason, uh, the layoff and the starting over and whatever people want to call it, is that really a big deal? Uh, to these players, how do you think it affects a team like Carolina while Boston College was playing a game last week? I think it definitely affects the players. It affects it affects your preparation. It affects a lot of things. I mean, for one, game game week preparation is a rhythm that you get into to where I know what the game plan is going to be. I know what we're installing. Here's what we're going to do. Here's who we're installing it for, all these other things. And then all of a sudden that's gone. And then the next week you've got to buy. And so that's a, that's an unusual week anyway. Oftentimes that's the week where you're trying to get healed up. You know, you go a little lighter for a couple days. There's actually usually a, a pretty heavy day where you're going through and cleaning up some fundamentals and doing basic indie drills a little bit more, that sort of thing, doing that for a couple of days during that week to really clean up some, uh, some stuff that may have emerged uh, in the couple games or few games that you've had before the buy, but they only had one, one, one thing. So you're not, you're, you're basically in camp that week and you're doing it after a game week to prepare for an opponent that you didn't play. And then all of a sudden you're back into it and preparing for a new opponent. And just the whole thing in terms of your rhythm is just affected. And the, the other thing that, that really comes into play here is the speed and the intensity of, of game action cannot be simulated during the season. You can come, you can, you get as close as you can in scrimmages in the spring 
in an, an early in camp where you can really go hard and, and guys are trying to win jobs and it's close, right? The, the, the intensity level's higher, but it's not, it's just not the same as when you get out there and now you have to turn it on and now, now you're playing for real. I mean, we've all, we've all done this. It doesn't matter what your sport is, anything. I mean, if you play tennis and you rally with somebody for a little bit and you're warming up and you're doing all that, you can, you can rally for a while and, and get a decent workout. But if you get two players who are competitive and, and they're playing for real, the speed changes, the way the serves are hit change, changes, everything changes. For people who play golf, I mean, Greg, I know you, you, you've played tournament golf a good bit. It's different playing tournament golf. Your heart races differently. You have to learn how to, how to putt when you're doing this a little bit. You know, your hands are shaking a little bit. You just, it's a different thing. And not getting that means that you're not used to going at that game speed for, three, for a month, for three weeks plus. All of a sudden, you're not used to going at that speed. And the hard thing is you're prepping. So the, if, if you knew you had three weeks, then you're going to push your players really hard at the end of that first week, probably the beginning of the second week, and then try to ramp it back down for that third week. But instead you're prepping. So that means you can't go as fast. You can't go as hard because you don't want to kill your players. And then second week, well, you know, we're going to push them a little bit here to try to keep them from getting stale. Cause now we know there's going to be that, but you can't do it as hard as you could if you'd known there were three. So it's just, it's hard. And that, that sort of thing is what leads to, uh, to more injuries, to hamstring pulls, to, cramps, things like that, that come when guys are not used to, to playing at the speed and intensity level that you do when it's for real. Greg, that sort of segues into the question I was going to ask you based on Matt Brown's comments on Wednesday. You know, he, he equated it to like a turnover on offense or defense, the sudden change, you have to be ready for anything. But can you legitimately expect players and coaches uh, to practice as hard as they would and to prepare as hard as they would when you don't know that you, when it could be taken away today, tomorrow, uh, Saturday morning, the game could be canceled. How difficult is that for a coaching staff? How difficult is it for players to have that hundred percent buy-in with that little bit of uncertainty that's right here? I mean, that's got, that's got to be almost impossible. And it's not just Carolina. It's everywhere across the country. Right. I think it's an in, incredibly difficult. Um, and it's, it's really a matter of, of you know, practicing like it's a game, kind of getting into what Jason's talking about. It's hard to do. It's hard to simulate that. Um, you, can, you can go as hard as you want to go. And I think Longo's comments were kind of on point. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a matter of emotion. It's, it's kind of the passion and enthusiasm. And those, those are slightly different things, and it's easy to confuse those. Um, but it's really wanting to go out and just do the absolute best that you can do every single day. And it sounds like that should be easy, right? I think all of us are like, man, if I could play Power 5 football right now, I'd, I'd do it in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't have any, any issues you're giving it them all. Um, but that, that's easy for me to say, sitting in here, you know, having a drink and uh, wearing a Foo Fighters t-shirt because I've have no athletic drive whatsoever, right? Um, but I think one of the things that you find is this is actually, it can be beneficial for the team 
for the program in the years to come. Because this is the opportunity for the coaching staff to really, to really push that angle of saying, look, if you're wanting to play for a championship, whether it be the ACC or a national championship, you're going to have to elevate your, your level, not only in the game, but in practice, in the weight room, uh, you know, while you're stretching. Every single thing that you're doing to prepare yourself to play, that's got to be at a high level. And so I, I think that will wear off and that will be beneficial, you know, not just for UNC, but for a lot of, a lot of programs moving forward. Can you accomplish all those things right now when it's kind of all of a sudden? And like you mentioned, Tommy, the sudden change thing. Um, I don't know. I think it's very difficult to ask players to do that. And I think this is really where it comes down to coaching. I think this year is more about coaching than probably most years, just because which coaching staffs are the most prepared? Which ones have their guys operating at a high level, but they can, they can, you know, they can take the throttle off a little bit and, and it doesn't completely kill the guys. It keeps them, they're still revving a little bit, but they can back it down just a notch and then turn it back up. And that's a very challenging thing to do. And that's why I think you know, if the coaching staff is prepared and you have experience and you've been through ups and downs, not quite like 2020, but significant adversity over the years, which Mac Brown has, um, I think those coaches are probably better prepared, and I think that that puts UNC in a pretty good position. Yeah, we talked about a lot in the offseason leading up to this season, Greg, you and I, and Jason was in on it, the importance of having a staff, having a head coach like Mac Brown and then a staff like he's put together. Uh, Carolina is fortunate in that regard. Not too many places can say they have the experience, leadership they have, at least from the coaching side. Jason, one thing that uh, – you know, Sam Howell talked about last week, I guess it was, when he talked to the media, and we talked about it briefly earlier in one of these podcasts. But I wanted to get your take. You're a wide receiver by heart. You were at Florida State. But tell me how difficult it is or is it to develop any kind of chemistry for between a quarterback and a wide receiver without playing games? Howell's response, if – if my memory serves, is chemistry is built in practice. Well, Carolina's had, what, nine weeks of practice and played one game over the past, you know, two and a half months. So where does that lie as far as the concern, if there's any concern in that regard for UNC's offense? I, I agree with Howell. It, chemis chemistry is primarily, I'd say, 90% built in practice. It's taken rep after rep after rep so that you – as a, and I've, I've repped it both at, at quarterback and at receivers, so that, that's actually helpful for being able to get a sense of that. But it's knowing as a quarterback where your receiver is going to be on a given route, how quickly he gets in and out of breaks, body language things in terms of as you take a look, you know, you kind of peek out of, the, out of the corner of your eye as the guy's coming out of the break while you're looking where he's going. You know that, okay, I can, I can put that out there a little further for this guy, or this guy likes it here as opposed to here there are different things that you figure out with your guys uh, as a quarterback. And then as a receiver, it's catching a different quarterback. There, there's a different speed that it gets to you with. It's hard to explain, but different guys just because of the RPMs or just different things, like some guys throw a heavier ball. Uh, so you have to get used to catching a different, a different feel on a ball. Uh, some guys, uh, some guys, they, they throw it just as hard, but the ball doesn't hit as heavy. Uh, so, you know, it, it kind of spins into your gloves more. There's a number of things that, that, that change when you're dealing with a, with a different quarterback. 
but it's basically just getting used to running your routes, making the correct adjustments to, to coverage and different things. And you're working on all that day in, day out in practice. And it's the best way I can compare it is when do you become a good jump shooter? When, how do you establish the, uh, the rhythm of being a a quality jump shooter, uh, or, uh, you know, just a a shooter in general in basketball. You don't get that by playing games. You get that by going through drill after drill after drill after drill in practice to where you're, you're curling off of this mimic screen in practice and you hit that shot 50 times in a row until you know that it feels like this from this spot. And this is why you see even in the NBA guys, they'll try to get to their spot before they release a ball sometimes especially in, on, on, on game winners, clutch shots. There are certain guys that they'll try to make sure that they're taking a specific kind of shot from a specific spot because it, they know exactly how that feels and they're trying to replicate the feel that they get in practice when they've repped that a thousand times. So you get that in the same, like with, with, uh, you know, with golf, that sort of thing. Again, going back to that, you become a good iron player, a good putter on the practice green and on the range this is why I would say it's 90% though, because you still have to learn how to do it again with under the extra pressure, under the extra intensity, under the extra uh, heart pounding, all of that stuff that comes, the, the faster speed that comes on game day. So you can get that rhythm. You have to establish and develop that rhythm day after day in practice, bucket of balls after bucket of balls on, on the range. And then you have to learn how to take the range to the course. And then how to take the course to the, to the tournament. So, and it's different. So you can, you have, you get that speed, you get all of that, that rhythm down in practice. And then you have to learn how to make that, the slight tweaks that come when this receiver's amp- just a little bit amped up on game day or the quarterback, you know, might have just a couple more RPMs on this ball. In, on game day because, because the adrenaline or because of pressure, there might, it might be located in a slightly different spot and you have to get used to making those game day adjustments. That's where that other 10% comes in. And that's where you do see mistakes as a result of not playing in games. And that's why you see over the, over the course of a season, teams later in the season just execute better than teams early in the season with the exception of teams that are just massacred by injury. So I would say 90% of it is dealt with in practice but there is that 10% that, again, you can't simulate. And you have to learn how to make those adjustments in games. And, and you're going to expect to see some little things here and there that are just, uh, well, that it's been a little bit since they, they were going at this speed. You make Tommy, to, to keep on with the golf talk, which is <laughs> we should do a golf show one of these days. Listen to a podcast this week with uh, Bryson Shambo. Uh, and he made the point that that he never really plays rounds of golf outside of tournament golf unless he gets an invite to Cypress Point or Augusta or something. And the reason why is because when you go out and play a round of golf, it's four hours, uh, and you're taking you know, the pros are taking at max uh, you know 36, 37 full swings in that four hour period. And he's like, I can get that many in 30 minutes on the range. So in terms of efficiency, I can get a lot lot more work in on the driving range uh, and I can do exactly what I need to work on without taking up so much time in a game. So I think Jason's exactly right. A lot of good things happen in practice. And that's why we made a big deal back in the spring 
yeah, you're missing spring ball, but you're also missing the opportunity for Sam Howell and these wide receivers to go out after practice and just throw, throw balls down the field. So he can get a feel for exactly, you know, Deami's going to be faster than some of these other guys. Where do they like the pass to be received? Uh, how do they cut? All these different things are important. And so uh, the practice is really critically important. Uh, and so I think it's exactly right. You do have to have the game element of it to kind of fine-tune some of those things. Uh, but I don't think there's any harm whatsoever in these guys practicing them out. It drives the coaches nuts. I mean, Phil Longo said, you know, you're talking about nine weeks of practice with one game. That kind of drags on everybody. Uh, but I think it only helps to kind of polish the guys. Yeah, a couple points from both y'all's comments. Jason, I remember working media day with Inside Carolina back when Ronald Curry was at Carolina. And we were trying to get pictures for Curry – uh, for the cover of the magazine, throwing balls. And he was throwing to me. And I'm fairly athletic. I was at the time, but I'd never I'd never played college football. Like you said, it was different catching balls from coming from him than some random guy throwing it to it. It just felt totally different. And then to Greg's point and your point about practice and hitting balls, I've coached many a cage monster in baseball and a driving range, seen plenty of driving range monsters in golf that can't get it done when the, when the – Bullets are real, for lack of a better way of putting it. Greg, talking about practice and getting hev- uh, getting healthy, Mac again talked about Joshua Zudu, and they talked about concerns on the offensive line. Uh, I think this is a definite position where you've got to have live game reps, 100%. Uh, how is Carolina, how is Longo and Stacey Searles and all those guys dealt with that aspect of it, trying to get this offensive line where they expect it to be? Yeah, it's just, it goes back to the reps element of it. And I think when you got guys like Ty Murray and William Barnes who have been battling injury a little bit, uh, when you don't have spring and you, you kind of have a kind of a, a mixed up summer, um, you know, whether it be coming in late in June or, or having the week-long break in July because of uh, the COVID cluster, that kind of messes things up. And so you're kind of playing catch-up all along. And I think that the past couple of weeks have been good for those guys to kind of get back in the flow of things. Um, but that's also, I mean, very rarely do you see teams, you know, run a complete two deep. And I know that's what Mac would like to do. Every coach would love to do that. It just doesn't happen. And um, what you want is to make sure that you have, you know, seven or eight guys that you can count on. When you talk about a guy like Joshua Zudu, uh, we've talked about him being so important. It's because of versatility. You know, he's the starting left guard. But he's also back up at three other positions. You also, you need to make sure you have a backup center because that can be problematic. And so they like Jonathan Adorno. They think he's getting better every single day. And then you got a guy like, you know, Kieran Johnson, who is a walk-on. He's played a lot. You know, he played on the other side of the ball when they needed him on the defensive line. Uh, he's kind of a, a tough guy in the middle there. And so they've, they've got options. Um, you do need a Zudu back. I know he's a game-time decision, but he has been practicing since last week. So I assume that he will probably be ready to go. We'll have to wait and see exactly what they determine on game day. Uh, but with you know seven or eight guys they feel comfortable in, I don't think it's as big of a deal. However, uh, you know, this is one of the things where, where Mac is kind of like, you know what, I like my quarterback, I like my wide receivers, I like my running backs. Tight end looks pretty good at the moment. So if I'm going to talk about a position that's a concern, uh, offensive line is really about all I've got. And so I think that's one of the reasons he keeps bringing it up. 
It's an interesting discussion, interesting points there. I'm going to take a chance to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. Of course, our sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, constantly running sales. Uh, you need to sign up for their email list. I get emails all the time uh, offering great deals on their gear, great deals on great deals on everything they have from tailgate supplies to things for the wall, things for your closet, anything you need at Johnny T-Shirt. Carolina football jerseys, basketball jerseys, that throwback football jersey is pretty nice. Uh, maybe we'll see that again one day. Our sponsor, your friend, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. And, of course, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get that 10% off their everyday order. Then we're going to take a little bit more break, let the national guys pay the bills. When we come back, we're going to talk Boston College specifically. And then Greg Barnes has got a decision to make. Predictions will end this show. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. It's the Inside Carolina podcast, The Game Plan. I'm Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. Join me. Uh, I'll start back with you, Greg, since I put you on the spot about predictions later. Uh, Boston College, when I envision Boston College, when I look into the ether and I say, Boston College is going to run for 350 yards. Uh, they've got great running backs. They've got mountains on the offensive line. This season, when I look at Boston College's stats, they average 85 yards rushing a game against Duke and Texas State. Tell me what's different uh, for the new coaching staff up there in New England. Well, that's a great question. And I think, I think everybody's kind of surprised at what they've done on the, the, the ground. Um, and I know A.J. Dillon, of course, is a, a stud running back for him. It was you know, one of the top running backs in the country for a couple of years for good reason. But I didn't think it'd quite be as difficult as it's been thus far. Um, you know, I'm sure the uh, <clears throat> the new offensive game plan with a you know, new head coach, you get everything new, right? And so there, there's a learning curve there in play. And Jason's talked about numerous times this offseason how uh, it really is difficult when you have a brand-new staff coming in that you don't get the the benefit of you know, implementing your, your stuff for the first time in spring ball. Uh, and so you're really playing catch-up. And I think you know, some of that's part of it, and that's why I think Boston College will get better as the year goes along. The other component, too, is I think Duke defensively is good. Um, they just have been horrible at turning the ball over. I mean, it's ridiculous what they've done. Uh, you know, if you kind of look back at the stats, you know, they've had more turnovers in the first couple games than, than a lot of teams have had in, in that span in a long, long time. Um, so, you know, people like to, to dump on Duke. I, I get it. And, probably should offensively, but I think that's a good defense. So I wasn't concerned watching that game. Um, and I don't really know what to take away from the Texas State game. Um, Texas State's not good. Um, so I, I was a little surprised. I figured with Boston College's offensive line that they would be able to kind of dominate that game up front. And it didn't happen. And so uh, I think that's a little bit surprising. But we'll say this for a few more weeks. I think just how 2020 has been, these teams are going to play sloppy at times. I mean, North Carolina didn't look good for three quarters against Syracuse. Um, I think people kind of tend to forget that because of how they closed out that game. Uh, and I think you know, BC potentially just didn't look good against Texas State. We'll have to wait and see if that's true or not. Uh, but, but clearly they have a lot to work on up front, especially getting that ground game going. Jason, with Boston College playing two games and Halfley and his staff, they've now put two games on tape for 
Coach Brown and Bateman and, and Longo, uh, what do you see differently from Boston College than maybe you've seen in the past? And the reason I ask is we talked about not having the spring and installing a new uh, coaching staff, installing a new system or whatever. That would lead me to believe that, and I want your clarity on this, if I'm a new coaching staff and 2020 happens, I try not to change too terribly much from what they had been doing before. Is that a fair or an accurate assumption? Or if you're a staff, you still got to get your stuff in. You still have to do your thing uh, no matter their circumstances, especially for a coaching staff that Boston College has. You can't really run other people's stuff. I mean, that, that's just not the way that things work. I mean, it's – imagine uh, – I'm trying to think of, a, of, a, of another sport uh, just think about basketball, right? So imagine somebody takes over North Carolina next year. Uh, let's imagine uh, what's, what's, and I, I'm pulling this off the ceiling. Let's imagine that all of a sudden North Carolina and Virginia switch coaches for next year in basketball. How's that going to work if you have Roy Williams trying to coach that style of basketball? up at Virginia and you have Virginia style basketball with North Carolina's roster, given what they're used to doing down. How's that going to work? How, how do you think that's, how do you think that coach, those coaching staffs are going to handle that? And those players are going to handle the coaches actually trying to do that. Not well. whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but what if you, but what if you switched coaches and Roy Williams played Virginia style with Virginia's players and and Tony Bennett became a running coach with Carolina's players. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it could Roy – I mean, if you put Roy in charge at Virginia and gave him no time to prep, would the right decision be, okay, guys, tell me what all the calls were and how you were coached to do this with under Bennett, and we're just going to do that for this year, and then we'll start my stuff next year? Can you imagine Roy doing that? <laughs> he would have a heart attack by the end of November. We'll save oh, you give him until November. <laughs> you give until November. I, I, I don't think that, I don't think he'd make it through October and, and they wouldn't have even played games yet. Look, and, it's 2020. You know, it, we don't it, need it, to be talking about heart attacks. Yeah. Well, true. <laughs> yeah. Strike all this, but Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett coming to coming to Carolina and trying to, trying to coach Roy Williams players. And, you know, can you imagine him coming in and being like, well, you know what, they, they, they brought me in to coach y'all, but we're just going to run last year's system because we just haven't had enough time to prep. And so football is even more distinct than basketball on that front because you have whole – I mean, just the play calls on offense and defense is a different language for different systems. So, you know – what one team calls one thing and how they coach it and how they call it and the different checks that are in there. That's all, that all varies depending on what system, what tree you're, you're from and coaches add their own wrinkles to, you have to run your stuff. And so you, you don't really have a choice there. Now, good coaches have some flexibility built in to what, to their systems so that, you're not all, you don't want to walk in. And I think this is one of the weaknesses of some, of some coaches who run more cookie cutter type systems where they basically say, I've got to be, I've got to run this stuff and it has to work or it's just not going to, not going to fly. Well, the problem is if you don't have the personnel to run that, then you're screwed. The best systems always have flexibility built in to say, okay, when we get here, we're going to find out what these guys do well. 
And then the parts of our system that fit those things that, that these players do well is what we're going to ask them to do. And we saw that from Mac Brown in, in North Carolina last year. They did a lot of the same stuff that you saw Carolina have success with under Larry Fedora. They did some other things that were a little different. They also mostly cleaned up, especially on defense. They didn't ask some guys to do what they'd been asked to do that they didn't do well. But you have to run your thing. And, and, and from there, you're just you're tweaking and figuring out, okay, these guys have done this in the past and you're, you're seeing it on film that this guy's capable of doing this. So we're going to ask him to do this more within the confines of our system, but it's still our system. You just don't have a way around that. And so um, I'm still, I'm still thinking about Tony Bennett trying to run Roy Williams style basketball and Roy trying to do the opposite. And man, the the humor of this is uh, I'm I'm having trouble staying on on task now. Got myself distracted here, but, um, but I think, the other thing that's really different for Boston college, what's different to get back to your question here, what's different about this year is they have a, they have a legit quarterback this year that can throw the football down the field and has, I mean, he's a former blue chip quarterback uh, recruit going, going back to uh, before he transferred from, from Notre Dame. So you're looking at a guy that actually, you know, he got immediate uh, immediate eligibility which is a, a real fortunate thing for, for Boston College, but you're looking at a guy that actually has the arm talent to really threaten teams downfield in ways that really BC hasn't had at quarterback for a while. I mean, going, when was the last time they had that? I mean, Matt Ryan? Um, so, I mean, you, you go a long way back since they've had a quarterback with anywhere close to – I mean, I don't think he's Matt Ryan, but, but uh, that, that gives you a piece to build around. And the other thing that is, is if you're taking over a team in year one after a coach was fired, you're trying to build toward next year and the year following. It's really year three that you have to get right because that's, that's when contracts are going to get renewed and, and different things like that. That's when recruiting has to really have found its feet. So you want to make sure that, that you're building towards what, the, what this quarterback, who's a sophomore, is going to be able to do. You're, gonna, you're building – this year, you can afford to lose a few this year that you can't afford to, to lose in years two and three so long as you're building for years two and three with those things. So you, you make some of those sacrifices in terms of your system uh, to develop those guys. And I think they're already doing that in terms of they're going to they're gonna put their chips behind the quarterback and try to get some guys in there that can make plays. And the other thing is that they're, they're really leaning on the defense uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the way that they're, they're scheming to uh, to try to get turnovers and and create and change the game that way. So they're they're scheming a little differently than than BC has done as well in terms of you know in the past BC was more bend but don't break. They're this this group is trying to trying to turn you over a little bit. So those are the big differences. It's going to be an interesting study uh, on the game. I mean, I'd be fascinating to watch Boston College because they've always been just line up and road grade you. Greg, talking about uh, Phil Jerkovic, we talked a little bit about him earlier in the week, uh, 70.5% completion, but he's got a couple of targets. Hunter Long, I think I think his stats show him to be one of the top, if not the top tight ends in the country. And then Jay Fla- uh, Zay Flowers, excuse me, apologize to Mr. Flowers. Zay Flowers has been one of the better receivers in the country. So Boston College, while they may have struggled on the ground, they, they can stress this North Carolina defense um, even with the experienced secondary, and especially with long, you're going to have linebackers that are going to have to cover in space, or maybe is it uh, Connolly that gets stuck on that linebacker? It's going to be interesting for Bateman. 
Yeah, that's, I'm curious to see exactly how, how Bateman decides to use Chaz Surratt. Um, you know, do, you, do you let him work in coverage against a guy like Long, especially coming over the middle, those types of things? Or do you just really utilize Surratt for his pass rushing abilities? You can do both, certainly. Uh, but how Bateman decides to lean there will be interesting to watch. Um, I think it's interesting. I believe Boston College had allowed 13 sacks all of last year allowed eight in the first two games this year. And six of those I know were by Duke. Uh, as I said, Duke's got a good defense. So I'm curious, again, and, and you guys know my stance on North Carolina's defensive front. I thought they looked good against Syracuse. That's still a, a question area for me. And so with, with BC having a big offensive line, um, how effective can North Carolina be in, in, in disrupting what Jerkovic wants to do? Um, and what Signetti wants to do. And I think that's going to be the key of it. If he's got time to sit back there and throw, he's proven to be accurate enough. He can utilize some of those weapons. We'll have to see how North Carolina's secondary is shaping up, kind of with the the changes that that have taken place. Uh, With Wolf no longer back there at safety and Morrison having to switch back to safety from that nickel spot, you know, as you alluded to with with Conley now in the starting lineup at nickel. Um, And – a lot of those things, we'll just have to kind of wait and see exactly how they play out. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see with Boston College, Boston College's offensive line, exactly what Bateman wants to do schematically. Does he stick with the two-down defensive lineman that he did against Syracuse, especially with Conley in there now? I mean, Conley's going to be a stud. I don't think there's any question about that. But right now, he's very green. Or do you go ahead and you move in a guy uh, like a Jaleel Taylor who's got some playing time you know, under his belt? Or Zach Gill, who's kind of a veteran guy. Those are you know, two guys coming off the bench that the Bateman likes. And do you strengthen that defensive front a little bit? And maybe you, know, add three different, you have three different defensive linemen, four linebackers, and you go back to kind of a normal secondary. Um, so, so those are the things that I'm interested to see exactly how they play out. But certainly with a guy like Long, who has proven to be so effective, you know, even, even uh, Mac Brown was kind of highlighting his effectiveness. That, that'll be a key for, for Jay Bateman for sure. Jason, sticking on this side of the ball, just for one more question. Do you put Chas Surratt on him, or do you let Conley try to cover the big tight end in space? How do you handle yes. it? Chaz, yes? No, I'm saying yes. Yes to both? If, if you're Jay Bateman, what you, what you refuse to do, is get locked into one thing that you're going to be doing so that they know what, you, what to expect. Bateman is going to do both. He's going to, he's going to try to vary his, uh, his, his approach here so that when Jerkovich drops back, he can't just say, okay, I got my one-on-one here and it's going to be these, these two guys paired up against, against one another or whatnot. Bateman wants him to have to actually think after the, after the snap. <laughs> And, you know, and that, that, by the way, makes it a lot harder on a quarterback. And quite frankly, that's, you, you want to look at certain, certain guys when they get to the NFL. One guy in particular, you look at why Jameis Winston was so incredibly successful in college and then has had a, a, a little bit tougher time in the NFL in terms of turning the ball over in particular. The biggest difference is Jameis in college was able to line up pre-snap read. And in college – eight, nine times out of 10, your pre-snap's probably right. In the pros, what teams started learning is he throws so much on anticipation 
that he, he knows, okay, that guy's covered. It must be that he's going off of what he knows about coverages and how they work together. That guy's covered. Here, here we go. And he's throwing over here without ever actually checking because he's assuming that it's this coverage based on pre-snap and based on what he sees here. So now he throws that and, oh, in the pros, you're going to get them like, oh, that they dropped a guy there that was not expected because they know the tendency and they know that he's going to throw, throw that route on that, out of that look. If they take that away, he's going to throw that before he even checks, and now you've got 30 interceptions in a year. Jay Bateman tries to do that in college. He's trying to basically give guys, here's what your look is. Oh, and now I'm going to go, you know, instead of this being quarters, I'm going field reduction, single safety. Oh, um, this looks like single safety, but in fact, I'm dropping a corner who's now going to be a second safety, and I'm actually pulling a backer out to play the normal corner route, or the normal quarter corner role, and I'm dropping a defensive defensive end and bringing bringing extra overload pressure from that side. You know, there's different things that he's going to try to do as he gets more and more of the full complement of his defense in to do that, we'll see some of that in this game. But the main thing, you give him a piece like Surratt, and he's going to want to use him in multiple ways just to, just to force teams to identify where he is after the snap. Line him up, looks, looks like it's going to be man coverage, and oh, he's coming right through that B gap. And it's not man coverage on that tight end. That's what you're going to see going to be an interesting chess match to watch on Saturday. Uh, Greg, one question about offense. Uh, a lot of people are predicting this game. We're not in the prediction stage yet, but that Carolina puts up 38, 45 points against Boston College. Um, how does Carolina approach this one? I, I mean, it is so – Carolina needs to have about 700 yards a game to get the guys the yards they deserve with Javante and Michael Carter and, and Sam Howe and Dami and all those guys. But uh, Phil Longo's approaching this game. Uh, I mean, against Syracuse, I don't even know if we can think about that anymore. But what does Phil Longo do the same or differently? He threw the ball too much against Syracuse early for my liking. Do you think that's more of the same on Saturday here? So the good thing for Phil Longo – is that he's got such such talent on that side of the ball uh, that he he can really do whatever he wants. And I think one of the one of the things with the Syracuse game, and while some may have been frustrated with it, they didn't know exactly what that Syracuse defense was going to look like. And um, you know, he 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 said leading up to that game that uh, they're going to have to make decisions and changes and adjustments on the sideline, really in the in the first and second quarter. And then by halftime, they'd have a pretty good idea of what they could and couldn't do. And I think the other element, too, is they kept doing what they wanted to do without a lot of success into the third quarter. But by then, they were starting to kind of get into to Syracuse a little bit, starting to wear them down. Um, and, and one of the things that we saw is that once North Carolina had some success, they were late in the third quarter and got a touchdown, scored early in the fourth quarter, uh, Syracuse was gassed. And North Carolina at that time went up 17-6. to six. Um, and they're off to the races at that point in time. And I think, I think Phil is confident in what he has. We can talk about the offensive line being a question mark. Uh, depth, yes. You know, the, the front line, the starting lineup, no, it's, it's not an issue. Um, and so I really believe it's more of he, he's going to do what he wants to do. And if an opposing defense can slow him down and make him make changes, fine. 
we'll deal with that then. He'll have some things lined up to be prepared for that. But I think this is just one of those offenses where they're going to have success. And so it's really on Boston College being able to get pressure, being able to force Sam Howe out of the pocket. And if they can't do that, uh, good luck to them. And then the other element, too, of course, is the running game. And uh, we, we saw some, some good options there for Sam Howe coming, you know, throwing to the running backs out of the backfield. And that's essentially part of the running game, even though those swing passes are a little bit more uh, challenging than what Larry Fedora used to do with the, the screen passes and the, the flips out there. Um, but, but I really think North Carolina is just set up to be effective offensively. And if a team is able to shut them down, you tip their hat because there's not going to be many teams that can shut down an offense like UNC this year. Jason, real quick, Carolina's offense, what do they do in this game? The Carolina's offense in this one. That's, I think, a harder question than a lot of weeks, partly because BC with the new coaching staff is a little little less predictable. Um, and they're doing a lot on defense in terms of uh, trying, to, trying to play some games. Uh, with with what they with what they're forcing the offense to do, so uh, I, I think it's interesting. By the way, that that Boston College, the the big question coming into the year defensively was whether their secondary would be able to hold up against anybody. Quite frankly, uh, and through first couple games, they actually have done pretty well on that front. I mean, you look at you look at Duke, Duke's passing offense. They were okay, seven yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no picks against uh, against Notre Dame. And then Boston College, only five yards, 5.2 yards per attempt and two picks. They actually had a rougher time against Boston College in week two than they'd had in Notre Dame in week one. Now, some of that might have been them getting a chance to study what, what Duke had done against Notre Dame with, with the new quarterback. But that, that tells me that that defense is actually better than they've been in recent years. Uh, they, they do have an outstanding linebacker. We, we, we knew that coming in. We, uh, they've got They've got some guys up front uh, defensively, so they're going to be they're going to be okay uh, defensively, and they'll be able to challenge Carolina a little bit more, I think, on defense than than Syracuse did. Actually, a good bit more. I mean, this is a game where Carolina is actually going to have to execute. They're not just going to be able to pound the run with no questions asked, and you know, throw kind of as they want to late in the game. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see what Longo does here in terms of how he chooses to attack this. I still think that just based on personnel, I would be inclined to test them deep a couple times early and just see what, what, they pre- what coverages they're presenting, whether they're going to play me over the top, uh, wh- whether I'm going to have to check down on those, and then sort of work my way into, into regular offense from there. But see, if I, can, see how I can, if I can run by these guys based on the personnel that they have and then just work into the usual – RPO game with with, uh, with with some of the stuff on the edge that you talked about, getting the football to my running backs, which really, to me, I still think that the primary strength of this team offensively is its balance and its ability, particularly at the running back position, where those guys are dudes. Uh, and the more that they can, they can establish and maintain that balance, the more than Longo is going to be able to feature the pass in the second half. So I think that's really the approach. Test them a couple times early. Deep, see if you, can, if you can get a cheap one. See if you can see what those matchups look like if you're able to run by them. And then from there, basically try to play your normal – call your normal game, call your normal balanced offense 
as best you can because I, I don't think that that defense is going to try to take one or another thing away specifically. They're going to try to, they're going to try to play some games with you. And, and Tommy, this is one of those unique uh, situations with, with a guy like Luke Beckett, who is just kind of a hoss inside at, at three technique for, for BC. Uh, I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks now, right? I mean, I guess maybe a month that he's even been on the roster. Uh, and he came from Cal, started at Cal pretty much all four years, uh, or, or you know, at least three until he got injured that one year in 2016. Uh, but because the Pac-12 decided to postpone football, he left the program you know, end of August. And uh, now he's in the starting lineup, and he's one of the reasons that defensive front uh, looks so much better right now. Free agency in college, <laughs> college athletics. Uh, yeah, I, you're going to have a hard time at the end of the season, and I'll say it now, especially after Syracuse game, telling me Michael Carter's not the MVP of the offense. And I understand Sam Howell's going to get all the awards, uh, the receivers and Javante, but I think Michael Carter is the difference maker here in this game again. We're going to move on to predictions. I'm save you last for last, Greg. A lot of people are waiting on you. Jason, with all we've said in this game plan podcast and uh, all we'll talk about on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday in the pregame leading up to the, to the game, how does it all end? How does it all shake out in your opinion? That's a, a, another – I don't feel like I really have a good handle on this game, to be honest. And, and this is one where I think part of it's the layoff, part of it is – the the newness of of BC and just sort of the variance in the first couple games that, that we saw from them, but I think this is a sneaky tough game for Carolina just because of the uh, of the of the quarterback situation at Boston College that they have a guy that might be able to challenge you. He's had some trouble holding on to the ball a little too long, so if you can get some pressure on him, you probably get some sacks and knock him off of uh, off of schedule a little bit and that can make things a lot easier so that's definitely something that I would expect them to try to try to do is to focus on getting pressure on the young guy but they do have some players that can that can make some plays and they can challenge you through the air in ways that they haven't been in recent years and defensively they've shown more teeth this year than they had in prior years they've been actually as we talked about in the pre pregame or the preseason preview uh we talked about how their defense had gotten steadily worse every year since Don Brown had left. They look better now than they have in the last few years. So there's already been some improvement. That said, I think Carolina is, is a good bit more talented overall, particularly on the offensive side. And even though they do have a, a talented quarterback at Boston College, I think Carolina's also got a really talented guy, and he's a year further into the system. I think Carolina's going to be able to run the football more reliably than, than B.C., so ultimately, I think this is this is a game that is probably closer than than might be expected through say two and a half three quarters. But I again see Carolina pulling away in this one. I'm going to go with Carolina uh, 34. Or actually, we'll 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 go up a little bit. We'll go uh, Carolina 38, uh, Boston College 17. 20 point win, a cover. Wow. I, I, let me let me go backdoor cover actually is what I'm th what I'm kind of expecting. But anyway. what's the line now? I like Syracuse, right? What's 14. the line? Fourteen right now. Yeah. Mm. That's, That's right high. on. Yeah, I might even I might even put it on the cover. Let's go thirty-eight to uh, <laughs> thirty-eight 24. to twenty-four. Yeah, let's do that. Why not? So I'm gonna save, like I said, save Greg for last. You know, 
seeing what Boston College did last weekend against a team that I didn't realize had a football team um, until last. And I watched a lot of sports. I don't can't say I've ever paid attention to Texas State. Duke's offense is not um, very good. Duke's defense, I, I agree with you guys. I think that's better than folks give them credit for. My concern is the layoff. My concern is Carolina starting over. That being said, I'm going to go something similar to you, Jason. I see Howell waking up. I see Michael Carter having another big game. I'm going to go 33-20, to 20, Carolina. It's uh, I kind of want to go 27-23, Carolina, but I'll say 33-20, Carolina. Yeah, I'm kind of regretting going as high scoring as I did already just because of looking at this. But, you know, it's, like I said, I don't have a great feel on this game. All right, Mr. Barnes, you up. We're all First ears. of all, how, how, how do you not know about Texas State? I mean, that's where Everett Withers went. Sitting on G, waiting on O, baby. <laughs> One of the greatest lines after practice that I've ever heard. It was great. Uh, Everett was a good guy. Um, I speak in hyperbole quite a bit. Yeah. He, uh, he unfortunately never really got a shot with the, for the head coaching job in 2012 just because of everything that transpired before Bubba arrived. But um, that's how the business works sometimes, unfortunately. Uh, this game. Sense think, of trepidation and some nervousness I in think, this pick. I think if uh, you're looking at the – if I was a betting man, how about this? If I was a betting man, this would be pretty easy. You are. Boston College. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um you know, BC, one thing we kind of talked about in, in the preseason is you got a new coach. Uh, they, you know, this team has some talent. We knew that. They just, they were kind of like the, the Tom O'Brien, right? Where they were, they were good, but they were never great on Neradazio. Um, you know, when you just qualify for bowl games, that, that poses problematic and, and they had to make a move. Uh, I really expected Halfley to bring in a, a decent defense. Um, you know, probably not as good as he's shown thus far, but as I said, Beckett plays a big part of that. Uh, but I thought the, he would be able to lean on the, the rushing attack a little bit more. Uh, Jerkovic is good. We figured that he would be. Uh, but with, with the offensive line and the running game not being as stout as, as I anticipated, it's hard to give them an edge in this game. I, I do think they cover because – as, as Jason said, North Carolina hasn't played in three weeks. Um, so they really have to reset. And everybody's making a big deal about how BC and Texas State played out. Hey, if you're going to give North Carolina credit for turning it on in the fourth quarter against Syracuse, give Boston College credit for doing what they need to do to come back from a 14-point hole and avoid an embarrassing upset. Um, Syracuse clearly is a better team than Texas State, but that's still a way to build confidence for, for BC. And uh, maybe later in the year, I would pick BC to, to upset North Carolina. Uh, I am not going to do that right now. I do think BC covers, but I've got North Carolina winning this one 27-20. 27-20 for Greg Barnes inside Carolina message board posters. You heard it here. 27-20, Greg Barnes. Consider this a lesson in how you can, you can come up with an idea and an opinion. You can wait for information to come in, new information, and you can change your opinion based on that information. Yeah. So and you're saying you're a waffler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Flip-flop. Right. Flip-flopper. Flip-flop Foo Fighters. Flip-flopper. For the record, my shirt is a National Black Dog Day. I heard that was a thing 
on Twitter today. So I found a shirt, Black Dog Brewery in the Outer Banks, which I couldn't find when we were out there. Random enough, but President Random. Carter, you had his birthday whenever it was sometime this week. And somebody put a photo on Twitter of him in 1976 wearing a little like a members only jacket over top of an Almond Brothers shirt. Yeah, I saw that. Great. I saw that yeah. out there. Like, when was the last time that happened? Probably <laughs> 1976. Right. And that it's, Foo Fighters shirt only has me thinking about uh, the, the time that they had uh, Chris, Christopher Walken. Right. Uh, yep. You know, do, talk about, you know, I, I, you know, I'd like to introduce to you Foo Fighters. <laughs> Let's get out of here before we get a little loose. For the record, mine's coffee. Maybe with a little special sauce. Jason with his water. Apple juice. And Greg with his apple juice. Greg, we'll talk to you again on Inside Carolina Live shortly before Carolina Boston College. Tell us, tell Inside Carolina people uh, right fast how you have to, what do you have to go through to get to go cover a game in Boston? I'm glad you brought that up, Tommy, because uh, I am COVID-19 negative. I had to get a uh, test 72 hours out or else Massachusetts will not let you in if you're from the state of North Carolina. Um, so I had to go through that process, which was interesting. That's the first time I've taken a, a test. It was a rapid test. Supposed to be a 15 minute turnaround ended up being about 45 minutes, but uh, it was quick enough. You were, Did you, were you get the foot long Q-tip? Yeah. Did you get the foot-long Q-tip? Yeah, it's frightening when they bring it out because it is. It's like that long, and you're like, is that whole thing going in? Um, and it's it's oh not God. as bad as it. Oh, my gosh, please. <laughs> it's oh, not I better as... mute myself. <laughs> All right, yes. So, so describe for our listeners what a COVID test is like, Greg. It is um, – you have the – everybody talks about it. It feels like it's scratching the top of your brain, and it's really not that. It's really kind of like it's coming back behind your – I, it's kind of like more of a flat feeling for me anyway. So it's not weird. painful. It's just very uncomfortable. And it's, what's weird about it is they shove it up your nose and then they swirl it around. And that's kind of the weird part of it. And they have to do both sides. Um, and so it's, it's uncomfortable and awkward and all those kind of things, but it's, it's not too bad. The fact that the players have to do it three times a week, uh, that could get old. But um, I, was, I was a little bit nervous admittedly going in i'm much more nervous about the COVID test than i was about traveling to boston um but you know other than having to wear an n95 on board and in the air, airport um you know massachusetts has that that rule that if you're from a certain number of states north carolina is one of them you've either got to have a negative test within 72 hours of entering the state or you've got to quarantine for 14 days and so uh myself and and gregory hall are an intern um, and Jim Hawkins, the photographer, all three of us are going. I don't think they were able to get rapid tests like strings. I was able to pull and a few Quaverina, um, but big timer, right? That's right. But they were, they went to Chapel Hill. They went to the hospital <laughs> and, uh, hopefully they will be joining me and, uh, on Saturday. But Hey, like Max said, it could just be me. I, I could be ISO and, and Chestnut Hill. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. Friday afternoon, evening to, to see exactly who's traveling. Well, hopefully we'll have you to call in um, when Joey Powell and myself do Inside Carolina Live on uh, CHL 97, The Hill. That should be fun. Hopefully we're talking about a game and not some crazy turn of events here right. less than, what, 36 hours out. 
How, how fun would that be if I, if I get to Boston and arrive at the stadium? Like, yeah, nope, we're not playing. Oh, that reminds me. Let me tell you a story. So we go to a concert. This is relevant. We go to a concert at Greenfield Lake Amphitheater in Wilmington. My wife and I, we're, we're planning for this concert. We, you know, we pack up, we go, and we ride down there. And I'm like, wow, we got here first. This is awesome. We are literally the first person there. Look at Joe, uh, Jason. That's what she said, right? Yeah. <laughs> we get, yeah, I was first. We get down there, and there's literally a poster board written on the door that says, concert canceled. That's going to be you at Boston. At least right. you're in Boston. Get some right. good brews. Right. All right, boys, I'm closing it out. If you're watching on YouTube, you got a special <laughs> blooper reel performance by Mr. Greg Barnes. If you're listening on the iTunes podcast, you did not because the edit button worked wonders. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's been the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Always Thanks, fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.